When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another edition of the TLP Podcast. I'm Dr. Short, D-O-double-G. And I'll be your host today, along with my lovely assistant, Steve the Junkyard Dog Vandegraaff. Steve, how you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing great. I've never had that nickname before, but I think it could stick. Yeah, I definitely think it'll stick. Very fitting. What you got going on? We're going to the beach this weekend. We're going to St. Simon's Island. And so I'm pretty excited about it. I'm sure this St. Simon was probably a really good guy. So I'm sure his beach is going to be very nice as well. What are you doing, Justin? Anything special? Well, first, you know what I always say, Steve. If it's good enough for St. Simon, it's good enough for me. And I bet all his beaches are good, if you know what I mean. That's probably what will be on my tombstone. Everything's good. Not too much up with us. We're still figuring out life during COVID. We're probably a little bit more reserved because I'm high risk in the 41 age group. So we're at 87% mortality rate, I think, once you cross 40. So I'm probably a little bit more cautious than we need to be. Honestly, I'm like, I'm not afraid I'm going to die. I'm afraid of being sick. Like, not afraid of it, but like, I just ain't got time for that. You know, like, I hate being sick. And the thought of being laid up for a couple of weeks, you know, maybe more, you know, probably do nothing. But if I can avoid being sick for two or three weeks, I'm going to do it. So yeah, oh, that's a good call. I and mean, we're just trying to figure it out. Citizens, so, I mean, you got fragile lungs, and you're kind of frail, and, and you know, frailing. I guess you could say frailing, I'm definitely frailing. But either way, you know, COVID or not, I've got three kids, Steve, and we're just not as light on our feet as you guys are. <laughs> someday. <But> someday. <laughs> You'll get there someday. <laughs> I can only imagine how light and airy we would be with uh, with six. Yeah, it's like moving houses every time you like need to go somewhere. But just throw them in the van, you know, go. Yep, van is key for parenting and pimping. Anyways, moving on. So today, folks, we're going to start a short series on training your team where we're going to go and dive into the actual nuts and bolts that we felt needed some further discussion. We talk a lot about training your team. We thought we needed to get down really to the nitty gritty. But today we're kind of kicking it off where the training really begins. And that is with your leadership in the office. And all teams need training. And as doctors ourselves, Steve and I, we get and understand the trepidation that can come with setting up a training for your team. You know, how do you do it? What does it look like? What if my team isn't taking what I'm putting out there. What if it's awkward? And I know they don't want to do the things I want them to do in the office. So we're going to discuss all that. But today, like I said, as you may already know, we believe everything rises and falls with your leadership, with your ability to lead and have influence over your team. Not so you can lord over them like some communist dictator, but can be someone who rallies the troops that can lead and shepherd them to a common goal of building a successful practice. When I think of leaders, 
one of my favorite leaders from movies or cinema was or is Russell Crowe in Gladiator. I think he was just a great, his character was just a great embodiment of what I think of when I think of a leader, you know, who had the respect of his people above and beyond his position, beyond Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who was the actual political leader of the people. You know, I can almost guarantee if we had 10 doctors and we lined them up one through 10 in order strongest to weakest of their leadership abilities, that the success of their practice would likely fall in the exact same way. And I think therein lies the tightrope of being a leader that doesn't lead by fear, but commands the respect of their people. And it's a fine line. Believe it or not, this may come to a shock to you, but your team actually wants a strong leader in charge. It gives them confidence, knowing that you are confident in your leadership abilities and that there are parameters for them from which to work in inside your office. And I think of my children, if you have children, you may understand, but my children actually feel more safe and secure knowing that their dad has set rules or guidelines for them to operate in, opposed to allowing them to get up and eat candy for breakfast. Or if they're going to a friend's house and ask, hey, dad, when should I be home? Deep down, it gives them security knowing I care enough to say, be home by 530 or call me if you end up going somewhere else, opposed to saying, I don't care when you come home, go do what you want. So, Steve, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. The uh, structure kind of gives them something to kind of lean on mentally and prepare for. And I must say, I do like your uh, Gladiator reference there. The lean Russell Crowe was just a great thing. Are we talking leaderships here, Steve? Or are we talking you know, like you got the poster up in your room? Uh, yeah, he's in different form now, which is fine. But I mean, I remember in that movie. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> it does. Yeah. The Phoenix character, he's in the Coliseum and he's. He's going to give the thumbs up or the thumbs down to have Maximus either executed or survive. And then the crowd starts to boo and then cheer to basically influence his decision or make his decision. And then he realizes that even though he's Caesar, he doesn't really have any power because he doesn't have the people's love and confidence. It's kind of like what uh, Simon Sinek said. He said, a boss has a title, a leader has the people. So, you know, just because you're the doc in the office or you sign the paychecks that doesn't really give you true influence or power as to lead the team and i also agree with your point that people they want to be led of course people don't want to be bossed around but our employees definitely need and even want direction and instruction for example i don't totally love doing morning huddles they're not my favorite thing and so a little while back i just kind of stopped doing them completely for a period of time i figured People, everyone knows their tasks because we're doing the same thing every day in and, and every day out. And the only thing worse, in my opinion, than a meeting is an unnecessary meeting. So that's what I thought. But I found out that they weren't unnecessary. I found that staff would, they'd start get, getting snippy with each other about little things, this or that. And, and small issues became a big deal. People would kind of get sloppy and forget stuff. So I've gone back to doing them more regularly, not every day, but more regularly. Most of the time, we're not going into in-depth training sessions or, or corrections here. 
we're reviewing the day or pointing out, you know, patients to be ready for and how to make the day more productive. But even if we are aware of those things, I think the biggest effect of doing these things is establishing your intention of the day and how you're going to be working together as a team. So just that little extra connection, the hearing from the doctor, everyone's, you know, around and we're at a team and this is our plan. I think that helps employees kind of stay oriented and focused. Yep. It's a good example. I, a couple of thoughts. You know, I wasn't a big morning huddle person either, but I know they can be good. And if you're having issues with things similar to what you just mentioned, you need to be having them. I looked at it in my office, like I did a lot of things in my practice, that I had to earn the right not to do it. Just like, you know, I could take a lot of time off, but I had to earn that time. I'm not going to take time off at the expense of production collections going down. But in the beginning, I think morning, especially in the beginning, and not that, you know, some people don't mind them and it's not a big deal to do them every day. And I think in that case, great. It's only going to help you. Another thing I thought about when you were talking was the saying, the old adage, idle hands are the devil's handicraft. Meaning like when you don't have something to do, that's when crap happens. You know, that's when trouble starts. Yeah. Yeah. So I think keeping your team in check, making sure they're trained to know what to do when, you know, oh, I have a patient canceled. Now what do I do for this hour? Because if you don't tell them, they don't know. And they may be sitting there spending an hour sharpening their instruments when it could really take 10 minutes. And in the other room, you're fuming, get to work, stupid. And they're just like, well, I, you know, they don't know any better. And we assume that they're being lazy or stupid, but in reality, they haven't been trained. They don't know what to do. And until that happens, you it's not their fault. You know, it's your fault. But we're going to get into all that. Let's start off today with some clues in your office that your leadership may need some work. Because I think, and I know, it can be easy to lie to yourself and tell yourself you're a good leader when maybe you really do need to improve which I think is most of us. I think most of all of us can improve. I think of leadership as a skill, not an innate skill that you're either born with or not. It's a skill that you can build and learn and improve. So here are a few tip-offs that your leadership could use a little work. Wish we had a drum roll. Number one, when you ask your team to do something and they don't do it, or they do it once and then they don't do it again, or they do it for a day or they do it for a week and then, eh, move on and go back to what's comfortable. Number two, they show up late, right at the buzzer or running out at the end of the day as soon as their crap's done, not asking if anyone else needs help or if they can help anyone else finish up, blah, blah, blah. Number three, being just generally ignorant or not being polite. You know, if you give them a bonus, for example, they should say thank you. If you buy them lunch, they should say thank you. Just like you should. If they would give you a bonus or they would buy you lunch, you better tell them thank you. Number four, Talking down to you, rolling their eyes at you, behind your back or in front of your back, probably know if it's going on. Number five, complaining when you ask them to do something or when you come up with a new idea for a practice. Talk to a client this week and he was getting ready to run out mailers. His team all dogged, oh, mailers don't work. You know, we're going to get the wrong kind of patients. All mailer patients suck. We're going to seem so corporate, blah, 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 which is totally stupid. I mean, like you, four or five ladies, don't know how to build a practice. You've probably never been in a practice that did mailers. They've been in this practice for a long time. The former doc didn't do mailers. Like they're just basing assumptions not based off reality. And it doesn't matter. Like 
if I'm saying we're going to do this, we're going to do this. I hope you guys can all get on board. Here's the reasons why we're going to do it. But if you can't get on board, there's the door. You know, I'd probably make that a little bit more politically correct. But essentially, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't need a devil's advocate during the meeting. I don't need you to come up with all the cons when I come up with an idea of how we're going to improve the practice. You know, I'm open to some constructive criticism, but don't just sit there and poo-poo my ideas during the the meeting. So you're going to get punched in the face. Number six, when you have fear, when you know you need to talk to your team or a certain person on your team about a topic you know they're not going to like or about something you know they're not going to want to do. You know, for instance, fluoride. I want my hygienist to present cell fluoride. Oh, doc, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable with that. I don't really believe in fluoride or, Oh, I just don't have time. I'm always rushing to get my patients out. Like if it can be done and other offices are having 60 minute recall appointments and doing everything they need to do, including presenting fluoride, then it can be done. Like shut up, quit complaining and let's do it. But if you're going into that meeting saying, oh, gosh, I know so-and-so is going to hate me when I tell them this, then there could be an issue with your leadership. So that's it. Obviously, that list isn't exhaustive, but they are good clues that there are some leadership or respect issues going on in your office. And we preach that you get what you tolerate. If you tolerate those things in your office, you're going to get them. If you don't and you handle it right, you simply will not have to deal with those issues. Right. To that point, I would add another one to your list. And and I think uh, this one could be self-revealing if you listen to how you speak and how maybe you're sharing things on social forums or whatever media. Do you complain about your staff? It's really interesting to hear how doctors, they just vent about how bad their team is, how terrible their assistant was to do this, or how they could not have known something so simple. But the truth is your team's performance, it's really kind of just a mirror of your own leadership. And I understand it's fun to like joke here and there about sometimes the silly mistakes that a team member may make. But if you find yourself blaming your hardships and, you know, difficulties in the practice on your staff, that is probably a signal that you need to look in the mirror. If you're, if your assistant is never doing this right over and over, maybe it's not so much your assistant, or if it is, why is your assistant still there? So maybe it could be a signal that you have a problem that's lying within you rather than the team member. And this is an uncomfortable realization. I know I've definitely been there, but you've kind of, you've got to be humble and strong enough at the same time to really accept it and recognize that their performance is your leadership's measurement. Yeah, for sure. If you have a team that doesn't respect or follow your leadership, it's your fault at the end of the the day, just like you said, no one else's. Either you have not been the leader you need to be, or if you've been a good leader and you still have team members who don't respect your leadership, then you've allowed the wrong people to stick around. Either way, your fault. Real quickly, how do you improve your leadership? And again, this little mini series we're doing is on training your team. It's not on leadership. We just felt like we needed to start here. How do you improve your leadership? Books, there's a ton. Obviously, I guarantee you the person who's read 20 books on leadership is better than most likely a stronger leader than the person who's read one or none. I love starting off with the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It's one of my favorites. It's simple to the point. You can attend seminars on leadership. You can hire a coach. But bottom line, 
leadership is like a muscle. It gets bigger and it gets more useful the more you use it. The 10th time you have to call a team member in your office to ask why they aren't presenting fluoride to all patients, even though you've asked them to, is easier than the first time. And for the record, that's just an example. If you have to call someone in the 10th time to ask them, re-ask them to do anything, there's an issue right there. They'll start on the 11th, yeah. Right, yeah. You know, it's a lot easier. Bottom line, it's a lot easier the more you do it. The first time you lead a training, you know, like an official, hey, guys, we're all going to sit down. We're taking half day. We're going to go through X, Y, Z. The first time you do that is much harder than the second, which is much harder than the third, so on and so forth. Right, definitely. And I think this should be really encouraging to docs. You know, if you're not a great leader, that's okay because you can learn to be. It's something that can be improved and worked on similar to other skills and talents. The dentist I'm working with, I talked to last week, he shared with me how he had an assistant that was kind of out of line with something. He corrected her on the issue and she didn't change within the next week. And so he let her go and then hired somebody brand new that very same week. I complimented him on how assertive he was to have had that clear conversation and then to make the decision to move on and replace as smoothly as he did. And he said, and I think we can all relate something to the effect that, yeah, a year ago when I first started my practice, those talks were so hard and awkward. And now after a year, after everything I've been through, all the problems and stress that happens if you don't address them, I just immediately do it. I'm really open. I'm down to earth about it. It's not an issue. It's just, it's just the way it is at my office. So what was difficult, really difficult for him at first, suddenly became a lot easier with reps and I think with necessity also. That's good. I think a lot of docs think we come in when we start coaching or working with a, a practice and just start shooting a firing machine gun. You know, like, oh, they're not perfect, fire them. They're not perfect, fire them. And that's not the truth. We know it's not easy to let people go. And we know those team members have lives and people that depend on them. So our first reaction is always, how can we work with them to improve? But at the end of the day, if they can't play at your level, they can't play on your team, period. And never once in my career or all the coaching clients I've had, have I heard someone regret letting go of a problem team member. And that problem team member is the one who you're thinking about right now, who you know is a problem, but you constantly have to tell yourself, oh, they're not that bad, or oh, they've got this good quality, and you just continue to shove it under the rug. That's the one you need to hit head on. That's who you're thinking about right now. So if someone came to mind, think about it. And in these situations, I think it's helpful to even role play a little bit to yourself and to your spouse about how to handle those conversations with those employees about improving. This might be awkward, but I would go ahead and run through the conversation. Pick the words you want to say, say them out loud to your spouse and, and kind of how you want to come across. You'll probably mess up a few times and change what you were originally thinking you should say. But if you do this, you'll kind of come up with a better approach and you'll walk into the conversation with more confidence. So when you talk with your team or your team member, you're coming across clear and leader-like. You have plans, you, you have the answers, and you're not going to be, you know, umming through it or putting bad information out there or unclear direction. Are you indicating, Steve, that it's worthwhile to even practice a conversation like this to get your confidence up before you have it? That is what I'm putting out there, yes. That's crazy. 
That is absolutely crazy. Some people think, you know, if you rehearse something, it's not natural. It's you're not having the conversation. You're just uh, giving a speech. But no, you're practicing these conversations. So they will be natural. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think that practice, it definitely helps you appear more natural, helps you appear more confident, helps you to become a better leader. It's not fun. No one says, man, you know what I want to do Friday night, honey? Let's roll. Well, <laughs> let's practice my conversations with uh, my team members. I had to watch that there. Yep. Of course, correct there. <laughs> yeah. There's probably some freaks that have had that conversation. Anyways, so I hope it's clear. And I hope this doesn't even need to be said. But the leadership thing isn't so we can get our ego stroked. We don't want our teams afraid every time we walk by them. We don't want our teams afraid to try new things or new skills because they may fail and we'll jump all over on them. No, a good leader is an encourager. They're strong. They're humble. They are the biggest cheerleaders of their team. They practice what they preach. They're kind, but they're also firm. They let their yes mean yes and their no mean no. They don't talk behind people's backs. They look for opportunities to praise and talk well about others. They protect their teams. They hold their teams accountable and provide an environment where team members can reach their full potential. And as you're able to do that, just as a rising tide lifts all ships, your culture and your business improves. Much more than a leader who says, just like that parent, I don't care what you do, come home whenever you want. In TLP Academy, we have a quote by Jim Rohn, which I think sums up leadership very well. It's one of my favorite quotes on leadership. And it goes like this. The challenge of leadership is to be strong, but not rude. Be kind, but not weak. Be bold, but not a bully. Be thoughtful, but not lazy. Be humble, but not timid. Be proud, but not arrogant. Have humor, but without folly. And being a strong leader is a noble calling, but it isn't an easy calling. That is why there are so few out there. So before we really jump in on how you train your team in the next podcast, we encourage you to really take stock of your leadership and get ready to put on your big girl or boy pants because I know there are plenty of teams out there that need to be shown how to perform, that need to be trained. But I also know there are plenty of docs out there who are scared to rock the boat and train them. How's my team going to react? What if they get mad at me? What if they all pick up and walk out? What if I embarrass myself? What if I don't know what to say, et cetera, et cetera. And I can assure you every strong leader, every single one has started out with those same questions. I never once have seen a team walk out after being trained, but we're also going to discuss how to train right. It's kind of like raising fees. When we raise fees, we all think our patients are going to complain. They're going to lead by the hundreds. But in reality, in most cases, no one says anything. When asked the question, what if I train my team and they leave? I would answer, what if you don't train them and they stay? For the vast majority of us working on teeth at the office isn't what wears us out. You know, that's not the hard part. It's the frustration of a team who isn't operating in some capacity in a way that we want them to. And again, it starts with your leadership. Then it comes to you making a list of things you want to improve, 
or function differently in your office. Maybe it's a hygienist, not co-diagnosing. Maybe it's an assistant always having to leave the room for something. Maybe it's how your front desk talks to patients. And we could go on and on with that list. So you make that list being brutally honest because some of you aren't going to want to put some things on your list because you're afraid of what that may mean for you. Once you admit there's an issue, you're forced to make a decision to address it or ignore it. Then after you've done all that, it's taking a big gulp and having the guts to train, setting that date, preparing, and actually doing it. Then the second gulp is to hold them accountable after the meeting. You've had this meeting, you planned, you trained, they're still not doing it or not doing it to the way that you want. And you know, they're not going to want to hear you right in their butt saying, hey, you're doing better, but you're still not doing good enough. Hey, doc, get off my back. You still need to hold them accountable. That's part of leadership. And we're going to address those things. So get ready. Steve, anything you want to add? No, I think you you put that really, really well. I would just say that it is worth it to put in the effort in this area. I think there is sometimes a tendency to say that, oh, talking about leadership or some other things, it's very high level, you know, and dentists, they want to hear something much more tangible or, or get this, you know, this new clinical instrument and it'll make you this much more productive and it'll be great, you know. But really, spending the time to invest in developing yourself and your leadership is, it will, will give you far greater, far greater rewards. Dentists are happy to fly across the country to listen to some implant or sleep apnea seminar, which could be great, but they won't hold a candle to some really hard sessions of introspection and, and making of plans to become a better leader and to lead your team rather than, you know, focus on something clinical or, or something tangible or, you know, like a better saving somewhere. While it's not easy to develop these soft skills, this is really where the, in my opinion, the difference maker is in most practices. Yep. That's good. You brought up a good point. It's often easier for us as doctors to get that new piece of equipment or go take that class. In our minds, we feel like we're doing something. Oh, I'm making my practice better. But man, that's easy for us. As dentists, it's easy for me to go sit in a seminar and listen to, sit in the back row, listen to somebody talk all weekend or, you know, get a new piece of equipment to mess with. And because it's, it's not going to talk back, it doesn't have feelings, it doesn't give you trouble. But I think there's a direct correlation. The harder the areas you tackle, and I think leadership is hard, I think any team issues are hard areas to tackle, much harder than learning a new skill. After you place an implant a couple times, you learn how to do it in a class that's probably fun to go take. They're not that hard. Don't kid yourself. But learning how to train your team so that they perform exactly the way you want. So they say the things you want that you know is going to get the best result and still keep up that relationship and still have them have a smile on their face. That's hard. That is the hard stuff. And the more you attack the hard stuff, the better, more results you're going to see in your practice. Yeah. Yeah. Keep that in mind. If you want to get in touch, email us, Justin, Steve, Derek at the lifestyle practice.com. If you're getting any value from this podcast, 
we'd really appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes. Just like you know how appreciative you are when a patient or someone leaves your office a good review, we feel that same appreciativeness to you. This is our business. And if you're not getting value, seriously, do not waste your time. Find something that does provide you value, another podcast, and listen to that. Don't waste your time on us or anything else that doesn't provide value. So until next week, peace. Thanks, guys.